Quickly Quits History, where two best friends tell you a story in history, and we're not professionals, but we're gonna we're gonna do it anyway because it's fun. Yeah. How you doing, so Morgan? I am so good, Emily. How are you doing? Well, <laughs> I have once again injured myself <laughs> on a 100 foot slip and slide, and I'll give you the brief synopsis, listeners. Uh, just imagine me, a beer in my hand, and my four-year-old daughter in my lap, going down a hundred-foot slip and slide, and, uh, definitely sprained the shit out of my ankle, hitting the hay bales at the end, trying not to squish my daughter and spill my beer. (laughs) So, you protected what's important. (laughs) I didn't spill the beer, and I didn't squish the daughter, so... Who really won here? It wasn't me. <laughs> I can tell you that. One quick trip to the ER later. It's not broken, but it's been four days and I still can't walk on it. So. And it's the same one as last time. So if y'all heard the pirate episode, I am one step closer to just becoming a pirate at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just, How was your I'm, trip? Oh my gosh. So <laughs> listeners, um, I did post this on the social medias, but I just got back from a trip to Scotland to visit my sister and it's the most amazing place I've ever been. Uh, I highly recommend if you can afford it, which honestly, like the flight was the most expensive thing because shit is cheap over there, uh, compared to the U S like my very first morning there, I got a vegan sausage roll and an energy drink for less than three pounds altogether. Yeah. Oh my god. The sausage roll is like a pound 20 and then the energy drink was like a pound 30. Oh my god, like, when we it, went to that vegan restaurant, I'm pretty sure my breakfast was like $20. Yeah. No, it's so cheap. I don't think I ever like even when I had like alcohol with my meal and like a big meal, I don't think I ever paid more than $15 at like a fancy place. It was so nice. And I got to see all these castles. I went, I walked around Edinburgh, I got to see the National Museum of Scotland, and so my sister is an archaeologist, and she got to give me, not like a private tour, but she got to give me a lot more information about, like, relics, especially like Roman and Viking relics, because on her digs, they would find a lot of those artifacts, and so she was able to give me, like, extra information about these things that were not available like on display at the museum like she would tell me like oh like her dissertation was on combs so she would tell me like about all these ancient combs and then she would like oh okay and like this dishware that you see it's actually made from this very specific type of clay that's only found in this one area blah 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 and none of that is like in the description it's just like clay pot from about this year you know so uh that was really cool um and then just you know, everywhere you go in Scotland, there's ruins and castles and it's so old and it's just mind blowing. And this was really fun. So the highlands in Scotland are actually where the top part of the Appalachian Mountains are. So like when you think about the Appalachian Mountains going through the eastern United States... At one point, the tectonic plates were together, and what's now the Scottish Highlands are the top part of the Appalachian Mountains. So we were on our way towards the Highlands, and my sister was like, Morgan, how do you how do you feel about this drive? And I just looked at her, and I said, it looks like home. 
Because it looks like you're on your way to Chattanooga from, like, Cleveland. Like, you oh can see God, the mountains makes in the distance. Oh, my God, that so happy. I know. I was like, I told my sister, I was like, I'm moving here. <laughs> can I come, too? Yes. I was like, okay, I'm bringing thanks. everyone that I love. <laughs> and I'm just going to, we're just going to go to Scotland and we're going to live there. Um, yeah. So, if you That's get a amazing. chance, go to Scotland. So, sorry, that was, I kind of waxed poetic a bit about my trip, but it was the most amazing thing. And I'm so glad I had that opportunity to go. I love that. I'll take you next time, Emily. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe my sister will have bought her own castle by then. (laughs) Oh my God. Tell her I will help her run it as an Airbnb. Okay. That's my dream. I have lots of dreams. That's one of them. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So, do we have any other business that we want to cover before we get started? You had your own like little historical journey too, didn't you? I did. I guess it's not as you know dramatic as going to Scotland, but uh, St. Augustine, Florida is a place that is near and dear to my heart. I've been going there every year since I was six months old, sometimes mm-hmm. a couple times a year. I had family that lived down there and being a history buff, it's really cool. No matter how many times I go, to see the Castillo de San Marcos and Fort Matanzas and the lighthouse. And if you guys are really nice to us, I can tell you some ghost stories from in October from those places. And so I took the kids for the first time since they've kind of been old enough to really recognize things like this. And my five-year-old son, was walking around with his map and he was telling me all the things he knew, which surprisingly was a lot because we watch a lot of documentaries as a family. And it was just really cool to see him in his like element of history, just like we are. And my daughter was just like really wanting to get the little badge that they give you at the end. (laughs) It was so cute. But this is so precious. I know, but if you guys are ever in the St. Augustine area and you're looking for something family-friendly, places like that are free for kids. So the kids were free. I was only, I think, $15, and it's for the whole week. So you can go as many times as you want to for 15 bucks. So if it gets too hot or you don't want to walk through the whole thing at one time, you can leave and come back as many times as you want to that week. It's awesome. And... No, I think that's the only business we have. Yeah, we yeah. we have had our own, you know, adventures mm-hmm. and yes. And I think I said this in one of our social media posts as well. Like, you don't have to go too far to find history where you, wherever you are. Um, you know, finances are definitely can definitely be a barrier, or travel can be a barrier, depending like if you have vehicles or not. But you know, like in Nashville. There's the Tennessee State Museum, which is completely free to all visitors, Um, and it's enormous. I went a little while ago, and we only saw, like, a very small bit of it. Um, So, you know, try to keep, like, if history is your thing, try to keep an eye on the things that are close by. You know, especially in the South, you can't throw a rock without hitting some kind of battlefield or historic or older church or, you know, even local history. Like the Battle of Athens. So let's get into it. Let's do it. It's the early 18th century, 
and George Hodgson is discussing with a friend his troubles with his beer making it over to India. I just don't know what to do. The porters I send over either spoil, leak out, or just get moldy before they even make it to India. It's really cutting into my profits. Plus, I've heard the troops over there think the porters are too heavy for the hotter climate. I've tried everything, but I don't know what to do. That does seem to be an issue. Have you heard of those beers that are brewed in October when the hops are fresh picked? I've heard that some men brew those when their sons are born and don't open them till their sons turn 18. Now you're on to something. George uses the concept to create a beer that is not only lighter, but sturdier than those heavy porter that they had been shipping before. They make it over to India without any issues and thus starts a new age of beer. You've done it, George. Everyone loves this new beer. This is the first interpretation of what we now know as an India Pale Ale or an IPA style beer which has become one of the staples of modern craft breweries across the world. And that's just the tip of the iceberg on the history of beer. How you feeling about this topic, Morgan? See, I love beer, and I live in the Nashville area, and there are so many breweries here that all have their own style of IP. Like... (laughs) Like I so said, like you, you can't throw a rock without hitting a brewery in Nashville. Like me and Kyle <laughs> were walking downtown one day and we just stumbled upon one. And it's the most adorable one I've ever been to. It's called was Crazy it any Man. good? It was very good. They had the oh most delicious coffee porter I've ever had. Um, it's called Crazy Gnome. If you ever find yourself in the, the East Nashville area, definitely check out Crazy Gnome. When you get a flight, the flight board is a mushroom. Very cute. I think I'm having an aneurysm just about how cute that is. <laughs> oh my god! I highly recommend that so much. I know. <laughs> so anyway, I, this is not I, about I, me and all of my experiences. <laughs> so you go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. How many experiences have we had with beer? <laughs> I mean, I had one last week trying not to spill it, so. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure I was drinking an IPA at the time because it's one of my favorites. Yeah. So, if you haven't guessed already, we're talking about the history of beer. And uh, this episode is going to air on National IPA Day. So, happy National IPA Day, everybody. Go get you a beer. If you don't like IPAs, get what you do like. (laughs) Just drink something. It's worth it. Cheers. Cheers. So let's start. It it gets a little convoluted because every source was just a little different because honestly, it's not like somebody made beer one day and then was just like, here you go, guys. This is it. We're done. Yeah, <laughs> we've done it. So let's talk about how alcohol is made naturally, just out in the wild. So when a fruit is ripe, it gives off a really strong scent that tells animals when it's ready to eat. The fruits want to be eaten so that the animals can disperse the seeds. Sometimes when the fruit, if it sits there long enough, it, uh, the, the yeast and the sugars that are naturally present within become alcoholic. And then the animals are like, mm, that smells good because it's sweet. And then 
That's how you get drunk animals. So <laughs> those are my favorite videos on YouTube where it's like jungle animals like eating the fermented fruit from a tree and they're just stumbling around. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. <laughs> are you sure you didn't just find a video of me in college? <laughs> rough couple years guys so i I know a keyword that will (laughs) oh no don't (laughs) just go ahead and say it i know what you're gonna say (laughs) kraken i can't okay (laughs) guys don't ruin rum for yourself because i used to like rum a lot no. Anyway, don't, back don't to be beer. Don't be me. So, a big turning point in humanity is when the humans discovered a way to create this fermentation process without just having to wait for fruit to go bad. And that was the earliest predecessors to what we call brewing now. So, how did they do it? Honestly, fuck if we know. But <laughs> <laughs> people have some ideas. And all of these ideas honestly could be true or none of them could be true. They all could have happened at the same time because beer was being brewed at different areas at different points in time. So humanity was really fine. It's not like it came from one central source. Peoples on different continents were brewing beer or just alcohol in general because really anything in the like neolithic times there was not a clear definition like a clear defined difference between wine mead and beer it was all mm-hmm. just like one thing mm-hmm. and it's hard to describe honestly so it was all the same category and one store s- source stated a brewing technique used over such a vast geographical area can hardly originate from a single source as old as it may be and i think that was a perfect way to describe what I was just stumbling over to say. So like multiple civilizations kind of came across a a similar method to create an alcoholic beverage. Exactly. They were using different ingredients. They were using uh, slightly different methods, but most of it was all pretty much the same concept. Okay. And it was in different areas. And then from there it spread. And if there are places that I don't discuss, types of beer that I don't discuss, it's because we, we don't have enough time to get into all the kinds of beer, all the different places. We're going to hit big points here. So let's go with theory number one. There's two main theories of how they discovered the process. So okay. one says basically just hunter-gatherers figured out a way to grow enough grain i guess they grew it and wandered off and came whatever i don't know and then this is this is one of my favorite things some scientists think that the hunter gatherers actually stopped hunting and gathering so they could make more beer <laughs> that that's relatable <laughs> it's not proven but i want it to be true <laughs> it's a solid theory that's really funny and then another thinks that um, they cut the grains and they left them out in the rain. Well, when the rain got on the grains, the grains began to sprout 
somebody was like, well, shit, we need to bake this into bread before it goes to waste. So they baked it. But because it was sprouting, the starches that were now full of the enzymes liquefied into the sugars and changed the way the bread was. So from what I understand, it could have made like alcoholic bread or something like that. You know, something with a different flavor. Yeah. And then it kind of gave them clues and they soaked the bread in water, which then spontaneously fermented and then they strained it. Bread water. (laughs) Yum. (laughs) Yum. Um, And back then, beer was actually really healthy for you. It gave you a lot of um, the minerals and other vitamins that you needed. And it was healthier than water because it wasn't, it was heated. It wasn't contaminated anymore. Well, that's what I was about to say. Like, a lot of people would drink beer or meat or wine, which is a lot different then than it is now. And it was the only safe way to consume water because it went through, like, a sterilization process when it's being heated. Exactly. I mean, there were just kids drinking beer everywhere. Oh, yeah. And plus, yeah. everyone was drunk all the time. No matter. Right. No wonder everything was such a shit show for so <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. I'm going to get into it in a bit. But the Egyptians had, like, 30, like, recipes to use beer in, like, medical practices. Oh. And, like, bruh, I could have used a beer at the ER the other day. So <laughs> can we bring that back? I need a beer with on the side with my x-ray, please, and thank you. Uh, <laughs> okay, so two points I want to hit. India and North America are two that don't really have a lot of, like, prehistory records. I mean, they found some evidence, but it, it just wasn't recorded. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to have a lot about those areas, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So. Prehistory. Prehistoric beer. This is going to blow your mind, Morgan. Are you ready for that? I'm I'm literally, like, preparing myself. (laughs) Evidence of troughs that could hold up to 160 liters of beer were found in Turkey in 2012 in 8500 to 6400 BCE. Just, Just I mean, I know that's a big gap, but, like... But giant troughs of just... Beer. Beer. (laughs) (laughs) They were partying hard in 8500 BC. Now, other source that there was only one source that I found that said that and everywhere else was like, oh, well, they didn't start drinking beer until like the uh, the Mesopotamians. But 8500 BC. I just got like a weird body. Oh, I know. That the, the throw up like <laughs> thing is coming on. <laughs> and they did find um, from 8,000 to 2,600. And I know that's another big gap, but mm-hmm. science is weird sometimes. Mm-hmm. They found some evidence of beer in India. Okay. And I got these from one of the more scientific sources that I found. Some of them had other things. I really leaned on to the one that had more scientific evidence behind it. So if you see something that says something different, it's all a little convoluted. I'm not going to lie. So mm-hmm. 
at least the stuff from India in during that time was not very well recorded. I stuff from anywhere who, from that time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like as someone who whose first episode was about India, like it it was really hard to find a consistent uh like source yeah. or like some something that was more concrete. It just isn't there. So it it really was. So we're hopping over to China now. And between six to six thousand to five thousand BCE, China (laughs) was brewing two different kinds of beer. One was made from millet um, or like cereals, and one Mm -hmm. was made from rice. The millet uh, lended itself more to the malting technique, Mm -hmm. and the rice lended itself more to the fermentation technique. Makes sense. And the fermentation technique, they also found where other starchy plants were used, such as snake gourds, lily bulbs, and yams in the warmer climates. Ooh. Yam beer sounds like something I want to drink at Thanksgiving. Yeah, that, I was about to say that's right? delicious. <laughs> so in 5500 to 4900 BCE, they have found traces in Germany. Now, these discoveries didn't really make it clear whether it was bread or a starch-based beverage. They they don't really know which one it is, but I thought it was important to add. Okay, something to do with wheat. Yes, yes. And it was in, like, I think vases or, you know, jars in a tomb. Okay. So it would make sense that it was a beverage, but mm-hmm. I don't think they could, they couldn't really tell. In 5000 to 4000 BCE, uh, they found evidence in Romania and Bulgaria and Spain. Okay. So that's that's cool. Also, side and, note, I, I yes. did find out what BCE means. It means before yeah. current era. Mm-hmm. I definitely I Googled it. That's the only reason. Okay. Because I, I know we, we had mentioned it. Like, what does BCE mean? I don't know. And yeah. we just didn't look it up. But I found out watching or reading something. Anyway, sorry. Yes. Sorry no, thank you. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, because I, my one of my next little, you know, my little titles mm-hmm. is Common Era CE. Ah, so, okay. Yes. Anywho, Romania, Bulgaria, and Spain, 5,000 to 4,000 BCE is the times that we're seeing the emergence of wheat beers. And this is the predecessor of the common style of wheat beers, such as Heffenweizen, American wheat. Mm, those are my favorite. Dunkelweizen, mm. you know, those kinds of beers. And, you know, if anybody wants to buy me any, Blue Moon's my favorite. And it <laughs> is a wheat beer. <laughs> love, I love, I, I love like, that's Blue my Moon. favorite kind of beer. Like, you it give is. me a wheat beer. Yeah, I love wheat beers. I definitely craved Blue Moon with one of my pregnancies. And that's <laughs> such a bitch. Blue Moon and hot wings. <laughs> And you I just turned into time. a frat boy. <laughs> You're pregnant. Damn it. And I would cry every time that Nick didn't take me to Buffalo Wild Wings on a Tuesday to get the buy one, get one wings. <laughs> and I would smell his beer so hard. I just. <laughs> one day. It was such a mess while pregnant. Okay. Anyway. 39 to 3000 BCE, 
Uh, so we're seeing more in Central Europe. So more in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and then an extension into Northern, like England, Scotland, that kind of thing. Okay. So this is about the time where the evidence of alcohol in Mesopotamia was found between 35 and 3100 BCE. It started to become more popular than water because it mm-hmm. was more sanitary. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like this next part. Oh, At man. the time, beer was thick like porridge. Ugh. And they drank it through a straw to filter out the sediments. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was just thinking of like chunky beer. <laughs> oh, oh, you know what that reminds me of when someone. So I have a friend and I love her so much. And this is she would do this and I judge her so hard for it. And if she listens to this, she knows who she is. But she when she would order an Irish car bomb. But she would pour everything into the beer and, like, let it curdle. And then, like, eat the curds. And that's all I can think of. And it was so... I don't even have words for that. I don't think... If I saw someone at a bar that did that, I think I would leave the bar and probably never drink again. And I was like, I love you, but... Oh, that's not how you do it. You're supposed to chug it. But yeah, no, that's oh. just what I like. That's what I imagine in my head. It's just like gray, like lumpy, like. Okay. Now icky. drink those through a straw. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> but, but they do think that the um, invention of the straw came from that reason to drink that's chunky hilarious. beer. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, a grate on one end, so you don't accidentally get a chunk. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? No. You had to do a shot when we were in Boston, right? Oh, yeah, it was through the, it was the, the bone, bone, the bone shot. They, I don't know why I let them put brandy, but, so I, I ordered some bone marrow, guys, and I ate the marrow out of the bone, and then they were like, you're gonna do the bone luge? And I was like, what What's the hell is bone that? Luge? And they're like, it's when I pour a shot through the groove in the bone, because it was cut like lengthways, like a hot dog bun. And (laughs) I took the shot of brandy and I got a chunk of the bone marrow in the middle of the shot. And it was not okay. I have a video of it. And she like takes the shot like a champ, I will say. And then she just starts like freaking out. And we're like, What's wrong? And she goes, I got a chunk. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like digressing uh, so hard no. in your episode. <laughs> the, the listeners are learning so much about me tonight. <laughs> okay. So back on track. We got this. Yes. So uh, this is when the Mesopotamians started trading beer with the Egyptians. And the Egyptians eventually took it upon themselves to start brewing their own. And we see more evidence in more northern Europe. So it's starting to spread a little bit up there as well, around 3000 to 2000 BCE. Okay. Now we're going to go deep into the Egyptians because they were the first ones to really perfect brewing beer. They took beer so seriously. Brewing was eventually adopted, like I said, in the Egyptians. And this is 
when they think about the time the Inca started brewing beer and a couple other mm-hmm. places. Okay. Um, and this is about 31 to 26 86 BCE. And it became a absolute staple in the society, in these societies. The Babylonians developed more than 20 different varieties of beer. That's a lot. That's a lot. I can't even name 20 varieties of beer. And I've worked in bars for like 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I love the god Osiris even more now. Okay. Because the Egyptians thought that the god Osiris held in his hands the very stuff of life. Fertility, death, resurrection, and the brewing staff. Perfect. The stuff of life. <laughs> yes. Because beer is life. <laughs> I agree with Osiris. <laughs> So, uh, beer was actually part of the Egyptian people's daily wages because it was so vital to, because it gave them so many nutrients and everything that it was like, well, we want you to live. So here's some beer. And they built massive breweries. One of my favorite parts is that it was mostly the work of women to work in those breweries. And that tradition lasted well into the Middle Ages. Get it. Yeah, I know. Badass women. Brewing some beer. And so the Egyptians, like I said, had different kinds of beer for different occasions. Some of them, I will say. So they had dark beer, sweet beer, thick beer. Get rid of that one. (laughs) Friends beer. Keep that one. Oh, I love that. I know. Garnished beer. Beer of the Protector. Ooh. Beer of Truth, which is just me when I've had too much. <laughs> <laughs> and then for burial, so when they would bury somebody, the beers that they would put in with the tomb, they mm-hmm. had to make sure that they wouldn't spoil very quickly. So they had the beer that does not sour, and they had the beer of eternity. All right. Those are some badass names, aren't they? Beer no, I love eternity. that. I love Beer of the Protector. I do too. And, and the Beer, beer of Truth. Beer of How truth. strong was the Beer of Truth? In the Bronze Age, 2000 to 1000 BCE. So, beers all over Western Europe at this point. During this time in China, fruits were being added to sweeten the beer and to give it a higher alcohol, alcohol content. So, at this point, I think beers were sitting at probably, oh God, did I not write it down? I think it was like 2.6%. It was not very high at all. Okay. And it, it would take you a lot to get drunk. But at this point, around the Bronze Age, people were wanting a higher alcohol content. And by this point, we had clear distinctions between wine, beer, and mead and stuff like that. Okay. Well, they started putting fruit into the wine because the sugars, the higher sugars would give it a higher alcohol content. And um, this actually kind of reversed a little bit because what they did was they just made a hybrid between beer and wine. Okay. So it started to blur the lines again. And also, I did not know this, but the religions that were starting to form at the time started to condemn the consumption of alcohol. That's strange that because it was so widely used. Right. Like everyone drank it. So why would they condemn it when 
I think maybe because of the higher alcohol content is kind of what oh, I was thinking okay. is that maybe people started getting drunk from mm. it. Makes sense. And around 1600 BCE is, like I said earlier, when the Egyptians, when they found Egyptian texts that contained a hundred medical prescriptions calling for beer. Wow. <laughs> and if an Egyptian gentleman offered a lady a sip of his beer, they were betrothed. Wow. And I think, um, or at least I'm hoping that, like, she had to accept the sip of beer. Yeah. Hopefully. I would like, hope it, so. it was a mutual thing. Yeah, it wasn't just like, oh, I like that lady. Damn. <laughs> Take I would be, my beer. I would be betrothed to so many people if that was still a... Oh, my God. <laughs> so many husbands. Maybe a couple wives, too. <laughs> I know, because I'm like, I'm a real happy drunk, so... Like when I get drink, I will just offer people things. And that have you ever tried this? Beverages. Here, have a sip. It's really good. I like it a lot. Oh my god, I'm the world's worst at like if someone's like, I don't like beer, and I'm like, but have you tried this beer? This one is my favorite. And then they're like, they're like no, but I but don't. Try it. Just try it. <laughs> just try it. It's okay if you don't okay. like it. Just try it. <laughs> so, in the Iron Age, 1,200-ish BCE, India began to specialize different beer brewing techniques in their okay. area. 332 BCE, Alexander the Great takes over Egypt. And this is when Egypt started, started to export their beer because the Greeks didn't like the beer. Because they preferred wine. Bougie bastards. <laughs> but the grapes were really hard to grow in Egypt, so they, like, brought wine reserves in. This is the point where they continued to brew the beer, probably because it was a really good export. And they named the beer after Cerse, like the god Cerse. And that's okay. where Cerveza comes from. Neat. Isn't it? That's very cool. I, I was like, oh my god, that makes so much sense. Pliny. I don't know who Pliny is. I could not figure it out. But Wasn't he like a historian for like the Greek or Roman times? Oh, thank you. Yes. Okay. So in his natural history, he noted in 55 BCE, around this time, that the populace of Western Europe have a liquid with which they intoxicate themselves made from grain and water. The manner of making this is somewhat different in Gaul, Spain, and other countries, and is called by different names. But its nature and properties are everywhere the same. The people in Spain, in particular, brew this liquid so well that it will keep good a long time. So exquisite in the cunning of mankind, in gratifying their vices and appetites, that they have invented a method to make water itself produce intoxication. All right. So he's just saying mankind's smart. So and anywho. They all have beer. <laughs> and they all have beer. Beer's everywhere. That is all of the BCEs that we have. So now we're in a common era, CE. And it goes kind of dark in the dark ages. So yeah. up until about 1000 CE, very little improvement on the processes and recipes 
were made because of the Dark Ages. 820 AD, the first full-scale brewery was built in Switzerland. Okay. And it was done very similarly to how it's done today. I mean, you can look at these plans written up in 820 CE, and you could probably just rebuild it and start brewing some beer. Like, it's really well done. And the scale had not been done since ancient Egypt. So this thing was massive. Wow. And the brewing became more popular in Europe. And it started shifting from family tradition done in the homes to centralized production in monasteries. These breweries had malting facilities, mashing vessels, fermentation areas, and staffs of trained workers. Coopers were hired to make the barrels for storage, and flavorings for the beer was usually a blend of herbs called gruet. And the monks tended to keep the beer for themselves and for travelers, so their job was to brew the beer, and then they were allowed to drink it. It was like the only vice that they were allowed to have. And uh, a traveler would come in. It's their job to provide the traveler with food and water. And they would sell the beer to the travelers. Over 600 monasteries in Europe were brewing beer at the time, during the Dark Ages. Uh, the, dr- <laughs> the monks drank up to four liters a day. Damn. Get it. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And they relied on the beer for nutrients while fasting. These monks were drinking four liters of beer a day on empty stomachs sometimes. Lordy. That explains some of the illustrations in some books from that time. (laughs) Oh my God, it does. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) Um, And they tended to be some of the only literate people in the areas and they took very good records of their processes and recipes they saw subpar beer as an offense because they were working for god i take subpar beer as an offense as well (laughs) (laughs) around a thousand to twelve hundred hops started to be used in the beer process or in the brewing process and it really transformed european beer And the Catholic Church was pissed. What weren't they pissed about, to be honest? Honestly, I don't know. They were making a whole lot of money selling the gruet that went into the beers. Oh, okay. So they were like, no, 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 don't use the hops. You need this. This is better. This is how we've always done it. (laughs) Um, But eventually the hops did win out. Not that, you know, the gruet was just done away with, but... Mm -hmm. I mean, we can all agree that hops is a really big staple in beer culture. Yeah. They add a panache to beer. Yeah, they uh, a something, a little, something, a little something. Yeah, a little something. <laughs> so, in around 1200, Germany, Austria, and England had firmly established beer as a commercial enterprise. It is insane to think that. Breweries were just, like, selling beer like we are now in 1200. That's crazy. Crazy. The Germans preferred cold-temperature lagers stored in caves in the Alps, and the English preferred uh, mild-temperature ales stored in cellars. 
and ordinances were put into place to protect the purity of beer in Augsburg in 1158, Paris in 1268, and Nuremberg in 1293. And these were the early forerunners of the now famous, and I'm so sorry if I get this wrong, I am trying, Reinigsbot of 1516? Sure. It was in Germany, and it's the beer purity law. Just know I mean well, guys, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. So, in 1295, uh, King Wenceslas grants Pilsen Bohemia brewing rights which was formerly Czechoslovakia, now Slovakia, and the Czech Republic. And remember that little tidbit of the Pilsen Bohemia. In the 1300s, Hamburg became the leading brewing center in the world. By 1376, 475 of Hamburg's 1,075 manufacturers were making beer. So almost half of just their manufacturers in general were making beer in the 1300s in Hamburg alone. That's crazy. Isn't it? In 1516, Bavarian Brewing Guilds pushed for the purity laws to make it illegal to use any ingredients but water, barley, and hops in the brewing of beer. Mm-hmm. They didn't know yeast existed yet, so that's why yeast isn't in the list. Right. In 1587... The first beer brewed in the New World is Sir Walter Raleigh's colony in Virginia. But the colonists sent requests to England for better beer. So apparently they didn't do it very well. They were like, this shit sucks. This <laughs> sucks so bad. That's what you get taking over other people's land. You damn you colonizers. <laughs> in 1602, this is... Wild. Okay, in 1602, in southern Germany, there was a batch of beer that was contaminated by a wild variant of yeast. The mingling of the two different yeasts created a lighter beer that we know as a lager. Ooh, I love me a good lager. I love me a good lager. The new species of yeast was then spread around the country and eventually around the world. Cool. Lager which is now 90% of the beer that is consumed today, was created by accident. That's amazing. I love that. Isn't it? In 1602. Lager's so, so good. I really like lager. I know. Like, I wheat ale too. is my favorite, but I like... Yeah. If I can't it find depends. a wheat ale, lager is my next choice. Exactly. And it depends. In the summer, I like a good wheat ale, or I like mm-hmm. a good lager, in the winter, that's when I steer more towards the, the heavier ones. Like porters and stouts. Porters and stouts. Brownies. And I will drink an IPA year-round. Yeah. Yes. So, in 1618 to 1646, this is when the Thirty Years' War devastated Europe. And it forced the manufacturers back into their homes. Oh, man. I know. What a bummer. And in 1674... Harvard College had its own brew house, and this is when Samuel Adams operated his own brew house. Oh, wow. And I should have worn my shirt from Boston. Yeah. That says, because we have matching shirts, that says, um, what bar was it? 
Oh, gosh. Um, some kind of pub. I can't remember. It was a pub. But it's across the street from where Samuel Adams is buried. And it says you can drink a cold Sam Adams while looking at a cold Sam Adams. <laughs> is it like Beanhouse Pub or something like that? I think it is Beanhouse Pub. I don't know. We'd have to look at our shirts to look. And I'm in my closet. Right I could look. <laughs> <laughs> if I could walk, I would walk over to it. <laughs> but... <laughs> Okay, so in the 1700s, so it took about 50 years or more, breweries finally started opening back up after the devastation of the Thirty Years' War. And in the early 1700s, this is when porters were invented in London. Do you know why they're named porters? Hmm. I have ideas. One. Okay. The guy who invented it, or the lady, uh, last name was Porter, or it was run by Porters. Close on the second one. Okay. The It was named after uh, pretty much the working class that drank them. So it really oh, okay. was preferred by, it was popular in the dockside and street Porters. Oh, okay. In London. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So... The term stout started being used to describe some of the darker porters that were being brewed, and soon enough, stouts became its own category. So a stout is just a darker form of a porter. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. I'm learning so much about beer. And Guinness started brewing its own porters in 1776 in Ireland. And by 1817, they developed their own signature stout that was less sweet had a more roasted flavor than its English counterparts. And that is the the extra dry stout, I think it's called. The most popular Guinness. Okay. Was developed in 1817. It's an you old-ass beer. I didn't realize there was more than one type of Guinness. Like, I thought Guinness just had the one. And it was I, like, I mean, okay, here, yeah. here's our Guinness. Like, everyone likes it, so here's Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> Surely to goodness they make more than that now, but it is their most popular one. <laughs> I mean, like I was about to say, like Budweiser only makes Bud Light, but then, you know, they, or Budweiser only makes Budweiser, but then there's Bud Light and Bud Light Premium. There's Bud Light Lime that just gives me heartburn now. <laughs> it's what turning 30 does to you guys. <laughs> I have heartburn right now. <laughs> oh, no. Go get you a Bud Light Lime. Make it work. So, um, traditional stouts had about 6.5% alcohol content um, to preserve the freshness. Because the higher the alcohol content, the longer they last. Okay. Uh, Today, they can have, you know, about 9%, which will fuck you up. Mm-hmm. Um, the different kinds of stouts now, milk stouts, Irish stouts, American stout, oatmeal stout, and imperial stout. Coffee stout. Oh, coffee stout. I love a coffee stout. I love stout. a good oatmeal stout. It's like drinking a mm-hmm. loaf of bread. And I love yeah, bread. I do too. So, in the late 1700s, this was our um, opening skit. Uh, this is when IPAs were invented out of necessity. So, George Hodgson... The owner of the, it's either Bow or Bow Brewery, B-O-W. It's 
probably bow, in London was shipping beer to the British colonies in India. The porters that were sent originally ended up just being spoiled, contaminated, or not at all because the they would leak out or the sailors it's, would just drink them all. Or it's not like they had refrigeration either. Right. So the porters that they were shipping over just didn't stay good long enough. Mm-hmm. So George needed to change the recipe so that the beer would actually make it. And originally called October ales due to the time of year when they were brewed, you would harvest the hops and then immediately brew beer out of them when they were fresh. And you used a metric shit ton of it. So that's why IPAs are very hoppy. But the more hops, the hops actually helps preserve the beer as well. So the more alcohol and the more hops, the longer, the more longer it lasts, the more sturdier the beer is. Um, he took it, create, made it his own, and it survived the trip. And the colony, the people in the British colonies in India liked it better because those porters were really made for the people in London in the colder, wetter climate. They were just too heavy for India. They really just were. Yeah, so they liked there. these IPAs. And the term India Pale Ale wasn't coined until 1826. So I think about 30 years after it was created, the an Australian newspaper was advertising them for sale. So I guess Australians traveled to India and got some of that beer and had it for sale. So then that's how it got its name, India Pale Ale. That's really cool. Because um, mm-hmm. I always thought like that IPAs were like, began in India and that was just like an Indian beer that just became known worldwide but it actually was just a different form of preservation for a beer to India yep I I thought the same thing yeah I thought the same thing it was made in London of all places so wow wow so in the 1800s most most beer was technically an ale technically Mm -hmm. in 1810, Munich establishes Oktoberfest as an official celebration. Love it. Love that for them. In 1830, Bavarians developed the lager method of beer production. So they developed the production of it. Okay. Well, I did um, it on purpose this time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, and I guess they ma- more mass produced it. Mm-hmm. Okay, remember how I said to remember Pilsen? The first golden lager is produced in Pilsen, Bohemia in 1842, which is a Pilsner. I like Pilsners, too. I do, too. I I read that, and I was like, oh, Pilsen, that sounds like Pilsner. And then I read this later, and I was like, oh. Oh, that makes sense. I got it. Um, in In the 1850s, German immigrant brewers introduced cold maturation lagers in the U.S. So this was Anheuser-Busch, Miller, Coors, Stroh, Schlitz, and Paps began their roots here. Schlitz and Paps. (laughs) I love you, good Schlitz. In the 1860s, commercial refrigeration modernized brewing. And in 1876, 
automatic bottling and railroad distribution were created, allowing Adolphus Bush to use double-walled train cars to become the first national brand of beer. Cool. Yeah. And Mr. Pastor unraveled the secrets of yeast in the fermentation process, and he also developed pasteurization to stabilize Mm -hmm. beers. 22 years before the process was applied to milk. Ooh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. So beer is now stabilized, and now Adolphus Bush is sending it all over the place. And I would like, thank you, Mr. Bush. Or Mr. 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 Pastor that developed the process of pasteurization. pasteurization. Yes, pasture. Pasture? Pasteurization. Oh. He named it after himself. Oh. <laughs> See, when he said Mr. Pastor, I thought P-A-S-T-O-R. But it's nope. P-A-S-T-E-U-R. Pasteur. Yeah. Oh, okay. Pasteur. So, before this time... <laughs> Pasteur. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so before this time... All beers were a little bit sour, just because of the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is where sour beers came from. Mm -hmm. So after the uh, pasteurization of beers, I guess people are like, oh, man, I kind of like that sour sour taste. Let me do that on purpose. So that's where sour beers came from. See, I'm not I'm not a fan of sour beers. Kyle my loves husband them. is. Oh my god. We have the same significant <laughs> other, I swear to God. <laughs> IP, IPAs and sours are his favorite. Yeah. Yeah. His favorite's the sea quench ale. And yeah, it's uh my least hated out of all sours, but that doesn't mean I drink it. Yeah. Okay. In the eighteen eighties, there were about twenty three hundred breweries in the United States. Wow. Wow. And in 1890, Paps was the first U.S. brewer to sell over a million barrels in a year. Gotta love that Paps Blue Ribbon. I'm telling (laughs) you. It's it's an American icon. I'm loving all of these names that, like, I grew up drinking. Well, not grew up drinking. Jesus. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I started young, but not that young. (laughs) Sure, we left. drinking since i was five or something that's literally i was like have you been drinking since you were five years old and now i had a couple just more years open. i'm just yeah. kidding <laughs> just maybe on accident grabbing <laughs> open beer that's just sitting there anyway um so now we're into the 1900s uh by 1914 commercial competition drives the number of u.s breweries down to 1400 wow from okay. 23 so 900 less shut down in just, you know, 14 years. And then the dreaded and hated prohibition hits in 1920. Mm-hmm. And that really put pressure on the beer industry and all alcohol industries, honestly. Breweries took to selling individual ingredients near beer that had like 0.5% alcohol. So like a non-alcoholic beer. Mm-hmm. Malt syrup and other various things to stay afloat. Oh, and ice cream. 
They started selling ice cream. Oh, okay, cool. Because they had all of these um, refrigeration already. Mm -hmm. So it was really easy for them to just adopt the dairy products because they're like, we have all these refrigerators anyway. Yeah. One of my favorites, it, this is a wine thing, but one of my favorite things is, was it... I think it was uh, Welsh's. Welsh's would sell the blocks of just, like, dried grapes, and they were like, warning, don't add X amount of water, and don't put it in a bottle sealed, and definitely don't put it in a in a cool, dark, dark room, room for three months. It will make alcohol. Do not do that. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. In 1933, Prohibition ends for beer on April 7th. I didn't know that it was, like, phased out. I didn't either. I didn't either. But it just said Prohibition ends for beer on April 7th. Hmm. Maybe it was for all and they just didn't mention anything else. But, unfortunately, out of those 1,400 breweries, only 160 survived. Prohibition. They have all the cool ass, delicious beers we could be drinking right now if it wasn't for freaking Prohibition. Well, they're all in Nashville right now, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That's true. And in 1935, the beer can was introduced. Oh, okay. So it Uh just had it been in the glass bottles? Yes. Like only before that? Okay. Mm -hmm. And in 1966, Budweiser was the first company to sell over 10 million barrels of beer in one year. So we went from 1890, from perhaps 1 million, to uh, less than 70 years later, 10 million in one year. That's a lot. And in 1988, the Asahi Super Dry, it's a a Japanese-style beer was introduced as a whole new category, and soon to follow, Michelob made the Michelob Dry. So, so I didn't even... What? Did you ever see the difference of, like, what it meant for a beer to be dry, like a dry wine? Like, is that kind of what it meant, or was there, like, a different form of dry beer? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I forgot to look that one up. I looked up everything else. But I would assume, yeah. Yeah, let's look it up real quick. All right, so we looked it up. It means it's not a sweet beer. (laughs) Not sweet. So, by 1991, the U.S. produced 20% of the world's beer volume. Golly. We like to drink. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so before we get into a little bit of the emergence of microbreweries, That's just a little segment I have. Let's hear some fun facts. I love fun facts. (laughs) I love fun facts, too. Um, So the word beer is derived from the Latin word uh, bibre, meaning to drink. Cool. Cool. Bapir, which was the bread that was soaked to make beer, was the first written recipe. Very cool. In uh, the late 1500s, Queen Elizabeth I of England, of course, drank strong ale for breakfast. Woman after my own heart. Get it, girl. Yep. 1553, Beck's Brewery was founded and is still brewing today. Wait, in what year? 1553. 
Where did you see where that was? Is that in like Germany or Northern Germany? Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. George Washington and Thomas Jefferson both had their own personal brew houses. Ooh. And I love this because I love Teddy Roosevelt. But in 1909, Teddy Roosevelt brought over 500 gallons of beer with him on a safari in Africa. (laughs) I mean, if I'm going to be eaten by a lion, I want to be drunk as hell, too. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's so much beer. Was it just for him or was it for, like, his company? I hope it's for Did he want to get the lions drunk, too? How long was he there for? Did he just take baths and beer? Like, if I'm, I'm like, soaked enough in beer, maybe the lions will get drunk before they have a chance to eat me. Yeah. (laughs) I hope. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Maybe they'll just, if I pass out, they'll just think I'm dead already, and they're like, "Mm, she's spoiled. I don't. Ooh, she smells funny. Uh, Yeah. Is that soured beer? But (laughs) so in 1938, Elise Miller John heads Miller Brewing Company for eight years as the first and only woman to ever run a major brewing company. Get it, girl. Get it. Well, as soon as he said Miller, I was like, like Miller? It's Miller time? Miller. (laughs) It's Miller time. Okay, so the emergence of microbreweries. I did not find a lot. I don't know why, but. Every source that I was finding on microbreweries was all, like, about the United States. And that's fine and all. But I Mm want to know about microbreweries around the world. I was able to find some stuff about uh, the UK from 2016. So, in 2016, the number of breweries surpassed 2,000. And, quote, the craft beer boom has reversed around 70 years of consolidation in the brewing industry and there is plenty of growth still to come said one of the sources that is awesome i mean i love that you can have i would rather have a beer from a microbrewery unless it's a blue moon that's Mm -hmm. my go-to but you know i I like to try all these other little breweries and in the united states the number of operating craft breweries continue to climb um, in 2021 and 2022, and in 2022, reaching an all-time high of 9,552. Lordy, that's a lot. I'm pretty sure a thousand of those are in Nashville. I think so. <laughs> Had and then, be. like, the rest are in Colorado. <laughs> yes. Um, if you want to, just for funsies, there's a link in the weekly skit. Okay. But it should say annual craft brewing industry leaders for that yeah. link. Yeah. And that was last year. They This website does um, an annual production report. And I thought it was really cool if you scroll down. It shows you top 50 U.S. craft brewing companies. Uh, let's see. It looks like Tennessee is ranked 45th with Indie Brew. And Atlanta and one in Nashville. Yeah, so they're one of the top 50 in the country. See, I've never even heard of Indie Brew. Well, now you have to go find it. Now, yeah, now I gotta go. I gotta. Uh huh. Kyle, let's go find Indie Brew. And uh, let's see, there's one in New Orleans. Shout out Sarah, made by The Water, is what it's called. And yeah, Thanks, I just think can. it's really cool. If anybody wants to look at it, it is the Brewers Association. And every year they put out the top 50 brewing companies. 
So this is the Top 50 Craft Brewing Company. So if there's any close to you, go check them out. Yeah. So I'm trying to look. I recognize a few. Yes. But only... Sierra Nevada. Oh, yeah. Um, Stone. Let's see. Let's see. I I recognize Rheingeist. Um, I recognize... Harpoon. Oh, I love Harpoon Brewery. Oh, I didn't know that was in Boston. Why did we not go to that? Kona and Abita. Mm-hmm. Um, Craft. Oh, Ohana. I know that. But yeah, those are the only couple that I've heard of. And then if you go down to one more, it's the top 50 overall companies. And of course, mm-hmm. we've got Anheuser-Busch, yeah. Coors. I Heineken. did look up. Yeah, Consolation is like Corona. Oh, okay, gotcha. And those beers. It's and not we've got Heineken, Mexico. Pat. Oh my God, yes. And then we've got, you know, like Yingling, Yingling. Jesus, I can't talk. But look, Sierra Nevada yeah, I was is 11. That. And that's on the craft as well. So they're doing great. Stone Brewing was on there too. Canarchy. All these others, like Harpoon Brewery. Minhouse. A lot of these are on both of them. And honestly, good for them if they're able to still be considered a craft brewer, but be a national label as well. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot that are on the craft brewery in this list. Like Kona, Flying Dog, Abita, Brewdog, Revolution. Like those are all on the other list too. So that's really neat. Oh, there's Odell. Isn't that... um don't they have the non-alcoholic beer? Oh, that's O'Doul's. O'Doul's. Oh, God. I tried it when I was <laughs> pregnant once, and I was like, I'd rather just not drink. <laughs> <laughs> just let me smell it. Um, <laughs> so definitely check out these lists, guys, and then go try you a new beer. Yeah. If you, if you drink beer. Beers. If you drink beer. If you don't, yeah. I don't know, go get some nachos or something if they have food. <laughs> Support the breweries any way you can. Yeah. You don't drink? <laughs> Just get some nachos. <laughs> Just get some nachos. <laughs> Be the DD. Yeah. Just load up, load the fuck up yeah. on some nachos. Because we could have used a DD in Boston <laughs> when I had popcorn for dinner and drank like three. <laughs> what were they like? Oh, God. Double well, IPAs or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. At that restaurant, they had double yeah. IPAs. And you're like, I want several of these. And then we went to another bar and you drank more. And that's why you ran back to the hotel sock-footed. Listen, I wasn't barefoot. I wasn't going to get the germs on my feet. No. But my shoes were bothering me. And it was a 40-minute drive or a 40-minute walk back to the hotel because we missed all the buses. Because <laughs> it was like 2 p- two a.m. <laughs> that was a good trip. Oh, yeah, I miss it. I think about it all the time. Yeah. We're going to have to. I, I do too. Boston, please welcome us back into your city. I promise I'll keep my shoes on this time. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> oh, so man. that's all I have on beer. Uh, I hope you guys had a fun journey with us through the thousands of years of thick beer and thin beer beer's been with us through thick and thin
sorry if I just blew out your ears and your speaker just then. <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to edit that laugh. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. I'm crying. <laughs> okay. Oh, Lord. Well, if you want some more of our um, shenanigans, uh, <laughs> you can check us out on uh, Ill Equipped History uh, Facebook group. It's called Ill Equipped History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Ill Equipped History. You can email us at illequippedhistory at gmail.com. You know, like, follow, share, comment. Leave, a, leave us a rating so, like, other people can see how we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, we love new listeners, and we are getting some really good reviews when talking to people, but we definitely would love to have some more online reviews. So tell us what you think, share it with your friends, your family, all that. Yeah, and... You know, spread the word and all that good stuff. And if you don't like our dad jokes, I'm sorry, I'm not stopping. <laughs> no, please don't ever stop your, your fantastic puns. <laughs> so, I'm excited about next week for yours. It's definitely not as fun as this one. I'm just going to say that. Sorry. <laughs> you pick such serious topics. I don't mean to. They sound fun. And then when I research, I'm like, oh. Oh, this one's oh, sad. This one's not fun. But I'm already uh, too into it. I already bought the book. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to present on it. So, Well... I'm sure if if anything, it'll be a nice learning experience for all of us. It will. Definitely it will be a learning experience because it definitely was <laughs> for me. And I'm I am excited to talk to you guys about it, but holy shit. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say for now. <laughs> I'm excited. Let's get to it. And we'll see you next time. Okay, bye.